to the arena the interviews with dc the dj welcome my rock fans to another episode of the back to the arena the interviews podcast i am your host dc thanks for coming on and listen today i hope you subscribe to get all the great interviews that i have on my syndicated radio show back to the arena which you can get more information about on our website at back to the arena show.com Now, my guest today coming up is the man, Joel Hoekstra. He is currently in Whitesnake. He is currently in Revolution Saints. He also tours with Trans-Siberian Orchestra. But today, we're going to be talking about his band, Joel Hoekstra's 13, and their brand new album, Crash of Life. So stick around. We're going to talk with Joel Hoekstra right after the break on Back to the Arena, the interviews. Back to the arena, the interviews. Hello again, everybody. My guest today is one of the busiest guys in rock and roll. He works with White Snake, Revolution Saints, Foreigner, Brandon Gibbs, and probably some that I don't even know about. But today he is here to talk with us about the new Crash of Life album. I want to welcome Joel Hoekstra. To back to the arena, the interviews. Hey, thanks so much, man. Appreciate you taking the time out today. Yeah, thank you. Uh, before we talk about Crash of Life, uh, tell me what it's like jumping around from White Snake to Revolution Saints, and I didn't even mention Trans Siberian Orchestra. What is all that like? Um, yeah, I mean, White Snake right now is kind of in a holding pattern as far as live dates go, so not too bad. I'm going to go spend some time with David Coverdale coming up and and uh, work on some things coming um, coming up. So that's kind of, you know, limited work at the moment. TSO, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, is primarily like end of October through December for me every year. Um, so not as tricky as you would think. It leaves the rest of the year to work on various things. And some of that stuff has been, you know, I, I guess, you know, recording projects, obviously Revolution Saints. We just released Eagle Flight, um, I think, a month ago now. Um, so if people haven't checked it out, there's a bunch of videos up online, I think four or five singles or something like that, that people can peruse and, and check out the album. It's, you know, really great and real happy with it. And have the iconic project as well with Michael Sweet and Tommy Aldridge, uh, Marco Mendoza, and Nathan James. That stuff's a little more, you know, I'd say White Snake kind of influence project, to be honest. And, uh, you know, this uh, Joel Hooks 13 is a little bit more of a conglomeration of just all my influences and a situation where I it's very much my baby and that I write everything on it. So I write the guitar riffs, I write the lyrics and the vocal melodies and the whole nine yards and, um, you know, have the final say so in the mix and the production elements. And uh, so, you know, I'm uh, I suppose it's my opportunity to just kind of be the boss for a second. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, when you were touring uh, with Trans-Siberian this last year, were you on the crew that came through my town, Indianapolis? Because I don't think I saw you. So Indianapolis kind of goes both ways. There's times where the East Band plays there, which I'm a part of. Um, uh, we've done Indy a bunch of times. Um the field house there. And, and uh, I think the West band played it this past year. Okay, So it depends on the year. And that stuff obviously comes down to 
just the amount of shows that can be played surrounding a, a essentially a Christmas show. I hate to use Christmas show, but you know, it's, it's more than that. It's the holiday right. season, but um, you know, people aren't going to want to go see that like at the end of August, <laughs> you know? So uh, the way you have to break it up in the U S is that we work together to put together the show and they have a West band kind of cover the Western end of the U S and just so happens that there's such an enormous amount of popularity in the Northeast that the East band does a lot of that. We're kind of like, if you look at the routing, we do a lot of the Northeast and the, the West band has these long drives and kind of covers all the way from, you know, all the way up in the Northwest there, you know, playing Portland and all that stuff and Seattle all the way down to Florida. So they've got a lot of, lot of territory to cover and we're kind of spinning up in here which is is good and bad you know i mean we'd like to see some of the other cities but it's also kind of nice in that we finish a show and two hours later on the bus we're in the next city (laughs) so it's our route pretty tight so i want to talk about your band and this album but first off where did the name joel hoekstra's 13 like where did the 13 come from so i did uh instrumental albums years ago that were kind of like you'd expect if i called this album joel hoekstra right like you'd say okay well it's probably an instrumental album or there's gonna be like a ton of long guitar solos that kind of thing um and then as things kind of took off for me joining night ranger and the show rock of ages and and white snake trans-siberian orchestra i had a lot of people that were like hey how come your solo albums are like this you know jazz fusion stuff and how come you're not like releasing you know, like rock records. And I said, well, I intend to, man. That's something I definitely want to do. And I thought that I wanted to, the blueprint was to create something that sounds like a band, but with the the hitch being that I get to really do everything as far as the writing goes. So that's kind of more what it's about for me than anything is kind of coming from a standpoint of what did I what are my influences growing up and how did I perceive it as a listener? So I'm not necessarily trying to like prove yeah, you know, my guitar prowess on these records with long solos or anything like that, or how progressive the songs can be. I just want to write like what I liked when I was younger growing up about this kind of this music, you know. Um, so I come from a song standpoint on it and um, just kind of keep the bar really high as far as the musicality on the straight ahead music, you know. So it's deceptively uh, uh difficult to play in a lot in a lot of ways it's just not you know that kind of dream theater approach or something of progressive <laughs> you know it's not that kind of music it's more like i'd say on this record you're looking at influences uh you know from that do to foreigner thing that i've referenced but also even like some zeppelin and acdc kind of vibes thrown in and even like you know that first video that's up um far too deep i'd say you know it's almost kind of like megadeth influence as far as the riffs the riffs are pretty heavy you know um so i i think that there are other people out there like me, I think, that grew up in 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 the 80s going like, well, I kind of dig like anything with melody. So I kind of like all the way from lighter stuff like Journey all the way up to the heavier stuff like Metallica, like the Black Album, you know, and like everything yeah. in between. That was that's kind of where my so for me, it's a lot of fun to be able to kind of represent a lot of my influences on these these records more so than pick out like, you know, one sound and say, I want it to sound like this. So um, pretty diverse sound of record, but, you know, all great classic rock, essentially, you know, anybody that likes melodic, like hard classic rock is going to dig the record. 
this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you talk about having to prove your guitar prowess. I think you've done that over the years. I think people know your name. I don't think you have to prove anything anymore. Um, I mean, I try to... I try to play solos that have the melody with a little bit of flair to it because I think people do get disappointed if you're just, you know, going the route of like the session guy thing and playing like, you know, only what like, you know, any tasteful session guitar player would play. Like I'd like to put my stamp <laughs> on it with, you know, the some of the technique and things like that. I find some of the fan base is a little bit disappointed if some of that's not represented. Um, but I would say in general, the approach is just kind of, like I said, I'm, I'm looking at this, like if I were buying this album when I was like 11 years old or 12 years old, would I be digging it? You know, um, where I grew up on this stuff. So yeah. um, that's where I come from with it. And, and, and I do think, you know, the musicians are great on it and there's, I think if you look closely at it and you compare it to a lot of the 80s stuff that I'm talking about, you'll For realize sure. that, the talent level is definitely there as far as like the people performing it and and how difficult the music would actually be to play um so but it's just not done so in a manner where i'm trying to like prove something with it you know um i'm not trying to write like i said progressive stuff just to be like hey check out the odd meter that we're playing in right now and like you know and check out how fast i can play or check out you know this three minute guitar solo i kind of got a lot of that out of my system with the instrumental stuff back in the day yeah well let's talk about uh some of the musicians uh first off i, I gotta tell you i love the voice of garish prada and uh, he's been on the show as has jeff scott soto uh, but how did you pick garish uh, for this album it's really th through frontiers because um you know i was like what do, what do we want to do about you know having a singer this time around and um, they sent me a video of him playing with his band, and I thought, well, he's amazing. Um, but I would say doing a little bit more of the screaming, high tenor thing, um, maybe like Sebastian Bach, you know, like old Skid Row kind of vibe, you know. And I thought, okay, that yeah, that's amazing. But maybe like, you know, the blueprint for this has always kind of been Ronnie James Dio to Paul Rogers and Lou Graham kind of thing, like – you know, this, which a lot of that stuff is not, well, none of that stuff is about the high scream, you know? Yeah. So that this, that it's all kind of about like, are you a great singer singing a song? And so I, I started working with him on the record to see like, you know, Kenny hang with that kind of vibe too. And as it turns out, he's really a chameleon, you know, he's really great at everything he does. So um, the way these records are done is I usually lay down a guide vocal. So I sing the entire album, and then that goes on to him and he can listen to it and then just sing it a whole lot better than I can, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, he ended up following the blueprint quite a bit more than uh, Russell on the past records. You know, Russ would kind of put his own spin on things a bit more. Gears did, but like maybe not to the same degree as Russell. Like, you know, he would, do, but I think, you know, he really just wanted to make sure I was happy with it. You know, the, the guide vocal is kind of what I'm hearing in my head. If I were like an amazing singer, you know, it's not that I'm the world's worst singer, but I'm also mm -hmm. like not really capable of like, I would say singing lead on this, this type of stuff where I want it to be like, I want the bar to be really high on these, you know, and it's the same with the backing vocals. Like 
I could probably labor through singing background vocals on this record, but here I've got, you know, this dear friend of mine, Jeff Scott Soto is amazing at this and like, you know, and he's willing to do it because we're friends. And so, um, uh, to me, that makes sense. If I want to deliver like an amazing album for the fans or something that people are like, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy when you got Jeff Scott Soto singing background vocals, <laughs> man, you know? Um, but like he's killer at it and it makes, you know, he's a big part of the sound of the albums by doing that. And so, um, I think it's, uh, it's something that adds to the quality of the album at the end of the day. That's, it's a lot. Like, I just want to give everybody a really great rock record to listen to. Yeah. I mean, Garish's band is great. Uh, he was on Ronnie Romero's album and that, that song was great. And of course, you know, what can you say about Jess Scott Soto? It's, his voice is, is very unique. Um, you talked about the video far too deep or the song far too deep. Um, how has it been, you know, in modern times to be making these videos without the band all being together? Is that, is that challenging or is it something that you can handle? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super challenging. I mean, we, we initially had the blueprint laid out, Tony, Vinny and myself, were all going to be a rock and roll fantasy camp in LA. So we said, Hey, great. We're all going to be be together let's try and get the videos shot then he'll bring Girish in and then there were work visa issues with Girish. so um you know we had to use external footage from Girish, and jeff scott soto was in brazil so you know everybody was willing to shoot and you know yeah i think with stuff like this you you do what you can for the fans to be like hey here we are i mean this is the best we could do to get everybody like you know, together for a video shoot. We really did have intentions of having Girish there with us, which would have been amazing, you know. Um, but that was just strictly work visa stuff, and we just couldn't get him into the U.S. Mm, and, okay. uh, you know, I mean, what can be done? I mean, what at the end of the day, what's better, having a video for the song where Girish is is singing his, uh, his footage externally and you've got a video or not making a video at all? I, I personally, I'd still rather have one yeah. than not. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's similar to Giant with Kent Hilly when I talked with a day from uh, uh, Giant, they had never even met Kent Hilly, and he was singing on their album, and they had to do a video, you know, cross cross the water. So, have you met Garish personally? Have you like shook his hand? No. Okay. No. <laughs> Only no. No. We like you know we had a Zoom meeting about it, and he started singing on the stuff, and we had a lot of correspondences during the course of that. Um, but you know, he seems like a great guy, really humble and. Um, I think he brings a youthful energy to the whole record. You know, he see he feels young and hungry to me, and um, you know, even just his willingness to participate in the prom the promotion of the album, to be in the videos and everything like that, is um, something that you don't necessarily always get. So, you know, I'm appreciative of that and the fact that he wants to help and uh get his name out there and i think you know he's probably looking at doing a lot of these albums like doing this and doing end machine um, with george uh and and jeff as opportunities to further his band and that's great i hope it does yeah. you know i hope i hope his, i hope his band blows up from it you know just as long as he keeps wanting to sing on my albums too <laughs> uh, but you know that that's kind of that's kind of the way that goes i'm, I'm always happy to to you know, if if that's going to help him further his career, I get it. We're all about trying to, you know, push things forward. It's not an easy business. You know, it's not like we're all talking about buying our fourth and fifth sports car in our mansions. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff. yeah. we're all kind of scratching and clawing. You know, I have more conversation coming up with Joel Hoekstra, but first, here's a song from his brand new album, Crash of Life. 
This is Far Too Deep. I'm back to the arena, the interviews.
conversation and more rock coming up after this quick break. Before the quick break, we heard the song Far Too Deep from Joel Hoekstra's 13. It comes off of their brand new album, Crash of Life, as we are talking with guitarist Joel Hoekstra here on this episode. And the next video that you guys dropped before the album was even released was the song Torn Into Lies. Uh, why did you pick that song as another preview to the album? Um, well, I thought, you know, I wanted Far Too Deep was one of the like the heavy ones you know so that was like the extreme heavy end of things i say torn into lies is probably more of that's a ballad you know so i mean you look at like all right i don't want everybody to be thinking the entire record is going to be like this heavy stuff <laughs> um however you don't want to necessarily lead with a ballad either and go here's the first single so um you know it's a difficult album to promote in that regard because it's pretty diverse you know like like i said there's some stuff on here that's influenced by acdc and that kind of material you know just straight ahead like you know solid rock tunes and zeppelin i'd say there's some stuff kind of influenced by that that kind of vibe so and of course the you know the foundation sound where it's influenced by kind of that dio sound um so i say at the end of the day, as long as it falls in the scope of what I was influenced by and what got me into classic rock and made me want to play guitar, then it belongs on one of these records. Um, you know, for me, the glue that brings it all together is by using the same personnel, essentially kind of like limiting the instruments on it. Like, it's not like I'm going to go from, you know, I, I track the entire record on a Les Paul through like, you know, my Marshall tone. It's like, it's not like I'm going to go like, all right, and maybe I'll try this amp on this one. And then, you know, then it starts sounding really scattered. So you get the same musicians and you get the same mix engineer on it all. And it all kind of starts to sound like it belongs together and is a record at the end of the day and not just like, you know, totally all over the map. Yeah. It's not just a record, though. It's a great record. So you got you to make sure you put that in there. <laughs> ah, well, I'll let you do that. Okay, <laughs> so, so that, that sounds a little like self-important and arrogant if I say. Well, that, so. yeah, I, I get that. Uh, so, other than the two songs that we talked about, your two videos, I have my favorites that I wanted to ask about, and, and I want to start with "I Would Cry for Love." Uh, really dug that song. Can you tell me a little bit about that one? Yeah, I'd say that's uh, that's probably a hybrid of like my ACDC slash Deep Purple influence, you know. Um, although the chorus sounds like neither. I mean, if the chorus has more of a, I guess, my pop sensibility of writing a chorus. You know, a lot of my choruses always come down to that, like, you know, what's the chorus that's going to pop? And like, you know, what's going to stick in people's heads? Um, but if you look at like the jam itself, it's definitely like ACDC slash Deep Purple influence for me, um, where that comes from, that track. Okay, another song that I really dug was the song right after I Would Cry For Love, and that's the song Don't Have Words. I love that song. Uh, please tell me about that one. ACDC, man. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that's like my version of doing an ACDC tune right there, pretty much, you know? Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I, I'm heavily influenced by them. That's They really made me want to play guitar. So um, that's something that hasn't snuck a lot onto these Joel Hoekstra's 13 albums, you know, I'd say the stuff has kind of been more along the lines of Dio to Foreigner. And, uh, but I don't know, I dug this one and I was like, well, I, I want to roll with this. I want to put it on there. So, uh, <laughs> you know, people, I'm glad you like it. Thank you. Yeah. Have you met Angus? Have you ever met ACDC? 
No, 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 no. I want I I I saw Angus as a kid and I wanted to be him and I didn't realize I was going to grow up to be about a foot taller than he is. But uh, <laughs> I think, you know, it's not exactly likely that I ever joined ACDC. I think I would be like, you know, the 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 misfit by far. I'm, I'm a pretty tall guy. So, um, <laughs> but no, I, I would love to meet Angus someday. I mean, and just and just say thanks for the inspiration. You know, you're what made me want to play guitar. Um, I think it's, you know, not just his guitar playing, his guitar playing is amazing and great. And so, you know, blues inspired and tasty, but it's the whole like, um, showman aspect of what he does. That was really right. appealing to me as a kid, you know, all that energy, man. When you see an adult doing that as a kid, you're like that, that's what adults should be like. How come adults aren't like that? You know, like, <laughs> and, and it was kind of amazing. I mean, I always say like, you think about people don't necessarily like register like how many dates they do all the travel involved the age that that guy's at and the fact that there's external factors in your life where man he's got to be having a bad day here or there and like have you ever seen like even 10 seconds of that guy taking it easy on stage yeah i know i mean it's like yeah. kind of amazing that like he's been able to do that over the course of his career so it's you know i i think He's the greatest like rock showman to ever be on stage. I mean, I think he's just the fact that he's been able to maintain that and that kind of persona all the way through is remarkable. I mean, we're all in physical agony after half of these gigs. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even walk down the stairs to get to my truck, let alone uh, run around on stage and and do his 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 custom move or whatever you call that uh, dance yeah, yeah. that he does. <laughs> yeah, he, well, he's just got such a cool presence, man. He's got so many Angusisms, you know. And clearly, I mean, some of that's Chuck Berry influenced. I'd say, you know, he kind of he kind of grabbed a lot of that from uh, from Chuck Berry, but um, definitely like up the raised the bar with it and did his own yeah. thing, with it, you know, without a yeah. doubt. Yeah. So one last song I wanted to ask about that I really enjoyed was the very last song on the album, "Through the Night." A slower song, but a great song. I talk about that one. Yeah, that one's interesting. That was really the uh, the true outlier because that's got like a uh, kind of pop chorus, but I'd say like the verse almost has like yacht rock, like R and B changes to it. And it was like, well, is this one going to be able to fit? And so in the end, you know, you take songs like that, you try and heavy them up a bit um, to see like w does it really all fit together. And in the end, it was enough for me. I, the, the ones that I was the most concerned about um, were um, You're Right For Me, uh, which was very Jimmy Page, like Zeppelin influence, open tuning on an acoustic guitar written song. And then uh, Through the Night, which was, you know, me just kind of writing more with like R&B changes. So it's like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of material to try and make sound cohesive. Can I do it? We're going all the way from like songs like Far Too Deep and Everybody Knows Everything that are super <laughs> heavy and borderline just straight ahead metal tunes all the way to these songs that kind of have R&B changes. So is it possible? But I always cite, you know, like one of my favorite records, Led Zeppelin, Houses of the Holy, you know, and there's, man, all the songs sound completely different than one another. There's no like, oh, this song and then that next song sounds exactly the same. And so... Personally, I like it that way. It might not be the easiest thing to market in the world, you know, like to say, like, this is going to be the sound of this album, you know, because even after the two videos, 
people are still going to be in for a variety of stuff on there that they're not necessarily like, they're going to be like, Oh, that's different than the, the videos. And I, uh, it's, it's funny how specific some people can be with their tastes, but I like to think there's people out there like me. I said, that, you know, that go all the way from the lighter stuff to the heavier stuff yeah. and everything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm all about that as well. Um, I'm guessing that Joe Hoekstra's 13 is just a, a studio album thing that you guys never get to play live or, or will you? We did one gig uh, in support of Dying to Live, the first record on the Monsters of Rock cruise. So it's happened. Um, in regards to taking it out, it's, well, number one, it's everybody's schedules, the old line that everybody gives you about these. But then it's the other thing is that it's just like, well, this would be my thing and it would be a financial bloodbath on my end. I mean, in terms of like what kind of money we could get to go play at a place and then making sure that, you know, I'm not asking a lot of these guys like, Hey, mine must stay in the motel six tonight. You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> it, it's, it's, you can't, you can't do that with, with the veteran musicians or nor would I want to, I, I don't like it myself if I'm stuck in a bad hotel. So, um, you know, it. I guess it would just require, for me, it would require a financial commitment and going like, all right, I'm going to invest in like trying to launch a tour of this and see how it goes. Never say never, though, with it. You know, I think it would it would require like stringing together stuff. Um, learning the stuff to play it once is what kills a lot of us musicians. You know, you, you work so hard to prep on a set for like weeks on end to get it all together. And then if you get together and rehearse and by the time you step on a stage and you only play it one time, you go, man, that was an awful lot of work to play something one time for people. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I, a run would make a heck of a lot more sense. Okay. Well, maybe you can get uh, something in Vegas for like a couple of weeks. I mean, I, I don't know about like residency kind of thing that's more like when you're a big enough name that people are going to get on a plane and come in and see it um i mean that's that's the tricky thing is like you know when you you take the i can be in these big acts i can be in white snake and trans-siberian orchestra but people know that name so there's and a lot of those people are casual fans they're not there might even be a lot of people at a White Snake show who don't know the names of the band members. Certainly Trans-Siberian Orchestra, where they're like, wow, I love to go see them, but I don't necessarily know. I know I know that guitarist up there, the long, <laughs> blonde hair guy, but I don't know yeah. his name, you know. So there's a lot of that. So, you know, when you throw your name on the marquee and you say, hey, here's a concert, it's going to obviously, stating the obvious, it's going to sell a lot less tickets, you know. So you're not going to be playing like um, arenas. We'd be most likely doing like a club tour, yeah. you know, which is fine. But like I said, but then the dough goes way down and then you're like, okay, so now can we afford a decent hotel and decent travel for yeah. everybody? Yeah, I guess, I guess I don't see that at end of it. So it's like, I just want to see everybody live and I don't, I don't care about. <laughs> no, of course, everybody, everybody always says that. And then the, the flip side is that that's always the reality of it, that people don't quite like wrap their head around and go like, oh yeah, I guess like Joel would have to invest like 20 grand to take that on the road, you know? I, we have a segment that that's called crazy questions that I usually wrap up my interviews with where it's kind of just like a rapid fire question answer, nothing to do with the album. It's just some stupid stuff to, to wrap up the interview with. Are you down for that? Yeah, of course. 
crazy questions on Back to the Arena, the interviews. Okay. So if you were given the chance uh, to travel back to the back in the past, anywhere back in the past, where would you go? Um Well, I don't know. Can I just be young again? <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, go go back to go back to your 20s. I, I, yeah, don't, wanna, I don't I don't necessarily want to like travel back to like, you know, any time period in particular at my age. It would be great to be like young again though. That stuff was like, yeah. you know, what's funny about my situation in life is that like, I feel like everything worked out for me. Like, so I go like, Hey, I've, I've had a good career. I played with a lot of people and like, in theory, I'm one of the lucky ones. And yet if you gave me the opportunity to be like, Hey, you can go back to being that 19 year old kid at GIT where you have no idea what the hell you're going to do with your life. <laughs> and you got no money and no one knows uh, who the hell you are. And I'd probably do it just to be 19 again. You know, it's just that, yeah. Good feeling being okay. young, you know. For sure. Uh what does Joe Hoekstra usually eat for breakfast? Coffee. Just coffee. I'm not, not a breakfast that. guy. I so Okay. The way the way that I I my mentality is is like I love to eat like post gig like and so that kind of has bled into like my uh I guess just the way I live like a daily life is that I like to eat at like, you know, midnight or something like that when I'm done with my work. So having, I usually wait until like, you know, dinner to eat. I'll eat like dinner and then like I'll have food like late at night. And that's kind of the way I, I roll. Okay. I tend to be like a ride coffee, like all day, just kind of, you know, co- coffee and seltzer water and, <laughs> that's kind of the way I just get through the day. And I find when I'm working, I don't think about food a ton. It's usually when I'm done working at the end of the night that I'm like, oh, man, I'm starving. You know, I got to eat. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what household chore? I know you're not home a lot. You're on the road. But what household chore do you hate doing the most? Uh, well, let's see. So... I'm kind of a I'm kind of a neat freak, which is annoying. I'm like uh, it it annoys me that I am. So I I need everything like very organized all the time. Okay. So I'd say just kind of like constantly organizing everything, so I know where everything is. Just it, I know that's a that's not really a housekeeping thing. It's like a generalization, but um, I I'm like one of those people that. Let's say I go do a one-off gig. Like two nights ago, I went and played with the Rock of Ages band, right? And it was in Atlantic City. So we drove there. And by the time I rolled back in here, it was two in the morning. And I couldn't go to bed until like my laundry was done. The clothes were folded and in my drawer. Like I need everything unpacked. I'm like, I got some, like some serious, like legit OCD issues like that. So that, that, that <laughs> so, so you're one of those guys that says the salt shaker doesn't go here. It goes over here. Yeah. Well, I'm like, I, I just feel like the gig's not done until everything's put away. You know, so okay. I'm like, okay. That's that the gig is not done. Like that's the, that's part of the gig is that when you go travel and you come back and it's like, okay, and now this needs to be clean and that needs to be put away. So I can't, I have a really hard time walking to the door and like dropping my bags and being like, I'm getting in bed. Like I'm like, no, yeah. man, I have to actually unpack and like get everything. Yeah. Really done. I, 
Yeah. So that way, yeah. when I wake up, I can be like, all right, now I'm in my day. Like, now I can start doing what I need to do today. I got gotcha. you. I know you've talked a lot, a lot about a, a lot of different people on the show, but who would you say, uh, in a in a quick answer, is your role model in life? Who who would you say inspired you the most? Um, I mean, you know, like having parents that were classical musicians, being young, that you know they set the bar really high, and that was cool having music around. So that you know, I had good guitar teachers when I was younger, all the way from my first teacher who taught me like nothing but rock songs and really like lit the fire, like making me like realize guitar was cool and not like, you know, learning, making me learn twinkle, twinkle, little star or something like that. Yeah. When you're 11, you're like, I want to be Angus Young. I don't want to play that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, having uh, TJ Helmrich was a great uh, mentor teaching me all the theory and lead stuff and eight finger technique when I was really young. Um, and that really paid off for me later in life. And, uh, was a good friend, a lot of, a lot of influence by people who I work with, you know? So like when you join these bands, your bandmates end up becoming like kind of influences on you in a lot of ways, you know? Um, you know, especially for me, I, you know, Looking back, I'm working with the guys in Night Ranger, me joining uh, pretty green, you know, like when I when I joined with them and and working with with Brad a lot, you know, Gillis would be on that list of somebody who I, I learned a lot from. Not necessarily about like trying to rip off Brad's like whammy bar licks if people are thinking it's like that, but it's like it's more like just kind of the way you learn about the music business and and the way things work and and just people that you like working with. I don't know. You, I pick up tidbits from everybody I work with, you know, it seems like. So, um, and then you kind of get inherently influenced by, um, I'd say what, what bands you join and what people have been in those bands and, um, all the work experiences kind of cumulatively, um, affect who you are. The Angus Young thing is definitely on that list, you know, as far as the guy who inspired me to pick it up. So I don't really have like one person. Sorry. I, I just kind of got like a, <laughs> I, I got a pretty long list of people that I admire yeah. as far as like what they, they do. And um, so it's, it's a hard one for me to name, give you like one person. Okay. I gotcha. Well, I'm going to ask you for one person on this one, which celebrity would you rate as a perfect 10 or a uh, close 10? Oh man, I, I don't know. That's that's a hard one, dude. You know, I, I'm. A, I'll tell you another celebrity I'd want to meet, but just because I, you know, my hobby is basketball, and growing up in suburban Chicago, I grew up a big Bulls fan, so I'm a big Jordan fan, and uh, I think it'd be really fun to meet Michael Jordan, and that would be that would be a cool kind of okay. thing that maybe fans wouldn't expect from me, like outside of the music world be like uh, you, you kind of switched up the question on that but i'll go with that where did you grow up i mean where where in chicago i grew up uh, right near joliet actually so that's where i went to high school were you near there or were you in yeah. chicago lionel richie land man lionel yeah, richie land yeah. and, and yeah, jesse so barfield if you're if you're a sports fan absolutely man i know <laughs> i know jesse barfield is man right blue jay he had yeah. a cannon for an arm yeah man. yeah um, so yeah, I'm a baseball guy too. Baseball and basketball are kind of my two things. And, uh, so, uh, I grew up in Orland park. You, I'm sure you probably know where it is. Okay. Oh yeah, for sure. The yeah. mall. 
The mall is yeah, there. Yeah, no, I was going to say known for its malls. Yeah, there's like the the main mall. And then there for some reason, there was like another mall that decided to open up right next to the mall, which was like very bizarre when we were kids. Yeah. It's like, okay, so there's two malls now? All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I got two minutes left. Um, what's next for Joe Hoekstra? What do you got coming up down the road? What can you tell us is in the works? Um, I'm doing some prep to go like hang with David Coverdale coming up here in like a week and go spend some time with him, um, out at the studio, um, and looking forward to hanging with him. Then I got, gosh, I need to like, actually, let me actually do this the right way and open up my calendar here and, and not be like, <laughs> oh, I forgot to tell him. So let's see. I, I got another gig with the Rock of Ages band this week. Broadway's Rock of Ages band. I got the trip out to uh, Hook City, we call it, the White Snake Studio. Rock of Ages band. I got a session. I'm going to tape uh, one of the singles for Guitar World. I got to run with my buddy Brandon Gibbs. We're doing a lot of acoustic duo stuff this year. Yeah. He's He's been on the show. And uh, so I got that happening, another Rock of Ages thing. Then I got this uh, thing called Gods of Rock. We're going to go play. Some of us, you know, classic rockers are going to go do a gig in Romania. Uh, So I got that happening. I have a rock and roll fantasy camp here in New York in mid-July that I'm a part of. Um, And then there's. So you are the busiest guy in music, like I said at the beginning of the beginning of the show. (laughs) I mean, it it never stops. What's what's an odd thing about the the current lay of the land is that my recording stuff and my live stuff don't match up. It's like my live stuff for the most part is this year, me playing with the Rock of Ages band and the Brandon Gibbs thing. You know, we did uh, uh, 12 shows in the UK. He and I, and we're going to, I think, do Europe later this year. Um, so we're doing quite a bit. And then on the other hand, you got me releasing the Revolution Saints album. I turned in the, the riffs to the next iconic album, the Michael Sweet. Got that done. Okay. I already recorded the follow-up to the Revolution Saints record that's out. I did that earlier this year. Wow. Um, so I got the Joel Hooks 13 album, obviously that I'm promoting and I got to eventually work on more of that. Um, so it's just a, it's a weird thing where it's like my recording stuff and my live stuff kind of have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. But of course, and of course, Trans-Siberian Orchestra comes up November, December, man. Yeah. So. I'll be here before you know yeah. it. Well, I appreciate you taking some time and your busy, busy schedule to talk with us. Everybody needs to get the Crash of Life album from Joel Hoekstra's 13. Uh, they can follow you guys on Facebook or follow you on Facebook and Instagram at Joel Hoekstra 13. And they can check you out at JoelHoekstra.com. I appreciate the time. I wish I had more time, but uh, I, I good, love brother. talking I, with you. And I've, I've seen you guys with Whitesnake up at uh, in Noblesville a few years ago. So I hope sometime I'll see you, whether, you know, whoever it's with. I hope I see you live again. Yeah, me too. I, well, David's been mentioning, you know, the, the possibility in, in some interviews. So you never know. But you know you know as much as I do with that. It's people read into that and they go, oh, they're going to play. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We are going to wrap up the show with uh, the song I Would Cry for Love that I talked with Joel Hoekstra about earlier in the interview. And I want to thank you guys for listening to the interview. Thank you for listening to the radio show, Back to the Arena. Be sure to click subscribe to never miss who is going to be on the next episode of Back to the Arena, the interviews. Bye-bye for now. If I could touch the deepest dark inside your very heart, I'd heal your sorrows. 
to the Back to the Arena, the interviews podcast today to see who is going to make it on to the show next. We bring back the legends from the 80s. We talk to new artists from today. It all happens right here on Back to the Arena, the interviews. 
Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.